Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you from the dry summer slopes of the mountains of Utah. Today's guest is podcaster, tech journalist, and author Tom Merritt. Tom has a wildly prolific career, starting in local radio and working for CNET, the twit.tv network, and numerous freelance radio, writing, and podcast gigs. He currently hosts the Daily Tech News Show and Cord Killers, as well as the science fiction and fantasy podcast Sword and Laser. We talk about Tom's storied career across multiple media, the intersection of audiobooks and podcasting, as well as Tom's forays into science fiction. Enjoy my chat with Tom Merritt. <laughs> How have you been doing? Uh, I, I'm doing great because I just got back uh, from a vacation for the first time in a couple of years. Oh, man, that's great. Where'd you go? We went to Honolulu. Ooh. You know, I've, I, I really want to really go to Hawaii. I had never been to Hawaii until I moved out to California. Uh, and then my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, uh, her friends were getting married in Kauai. That was my first time going. And I, I just got hooked. I love the place. <laughs> I, I, because it's relatively cheap from California, both San Francisco and LA. Yeah. Uh, we, we've kind of made it our default vacation when we can't think of anything else. You know, uh, we just, we just, jet off there for you know a cheap flight uh we have some friends who live there and it's great right man yeah i going to i because I, I priced out tickets uh for hawaii a couple of years ago and it's not that much cheaper than trying to go to europe you know from salt lake you know from, oh, yeah, out right. of any it's, small it, airport put one put one more hop <laughs> in yeah. there because the tickets this time were the most expensive we've had in a long time, uh, because everything's high right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, with everybody traveling again, but we've had, we've had some, some times where, you know, we spent less than 200 bucks, uh, on plane Ooh, tickets. Dang. That's uh man, that, that sounds real nice. I've been, <laughs> I've been feeling that itch of just wanting to get out of the house and go do things. And like, you know, currently the get out of the house is all of the random errands that I put off oh, yeah. for a year, uh-huh. like car checkups and junk like that. Yep. We, it's funny. We, that was us, uh, a week ago. We were like, you know, the, the big excitement was, uh, getting an oil change. Ooh, we're leaving the house. <laughs> uh, and then, then we went on this trip and it, it's funny, like the first few days were very cautious, you know, like, okay, what are we comfortable doing? Like the whole yeah. idea behind the vacation was like, even if we just stayed in the hotel the whole time and just looked at, you know, we got made sure we got a room where you could see the ocean, but like that would be better than, than what we had going on. But by the <laughs> end of the trip, we were, we were dining inside and, you know, like, you know, living, living the life. We got back here. We're like, how did we stay in this house? Right. Here? <laughs> right. 
Oh man, it's tough. You know, yeah. I, I've been having these conversations over the last couple of weeks with a bunch of different friends and, and it's, it's interesting how people react because some people seem to be very cool with like, yeah, I mean, I'm a creative person. I always stay at home anyways. It didn't really make a difference. And other people are, are kind of like, oh yeah, stir crazy within a few weeks. You know, this has been horrible. You know, I, yeah, I work out of my home, but I still have an active social life and all that. So yeah, because I, I didn't really change. I yeah. remember in the very earliest days of lockdown, people were like, how are you dealing with lockdown? I'm like, my wife's home instead of at work. That's that's my big <laughs> difference. Like, I, I, I've been doing this show from home since 2014. Uh, I My routine was I would put on a mask when I would walk the dog instead yeah. of, you know, not. Uh, but, but yeah, that routine didn't change. But I didn't realize until we actually did travel how much of a difference travel makes you know i didn't i didn't know how much i was missing it yeah yeah i had i had finally gotten to the point in 2019 where i was you know i was going on trips probably i don't know six to eight times a year oh yeah and it you know and i i really enjoy that i like i'm i'm a homebody normally but i i like getting out for a weekend you know go to a convention and all that Mm -hmm. stuff and uh and having that kind of cut cut out from under me you know it's a little killer we had to yeah. cancel a big trip to Italy that we had planned as a couple. Oh, and, uh, and so we're, we're already thinking about maybe doing London next spring. Uh, but yeah, but we're doing the same thing where we're kind of like, okay, what are we comfortable with planning? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't know what, you know, are there going to be, you know, crazy variants of the, of the pandemic that are going to come out this fall? And right. is it going to go back into lockdown? We don't know what's going to happen. So well, and that was that was one of the reasons we were comfortable doing Hawaii is because they handled the virus so well. Their caseloads have been the lowest of all fifty states. Yeah, uh, they were very strict about getting in. You had to even even if you were vaccinated, which we both were, you had to have a negative test within seventy two hours of your departure, and you had to have it uploaded, uh, <laughs> you know, to their website. So on arrival, they were checking. Uh, it you know it was. It was, it was pretty strict. So I, I felt pretty comfortable, like, okay, if I'm going to go somewhere, this is probably one of the, the more controlled places that yeah. I could go. Yeah, man, that sounds great. Can't, I can't wait until I start doing stuff again. I was reading a little bit about you just kind of, you know, shuffling through. And, uh, and this is something that kind of stood out to me that I find really funny. Your dad was a food scientist. Yeah. Yeah. I, he was, I, uh, he was a, a a dual major in psychology and chemistry, uh, but he he used mostly the chemistry. Yeah, uh, and he was uh, he was at one point the world's leading expert on evaporated milk. That uh, uh, so I don't know. I think some people would find that incredibly boring. I find that stupidly fascinating <laughs> um, because I I don't know. That's I, I'm always interested in people who are like leading people in their field in something that m- not many people do. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm always really fascinated by that. Was that, was that something that ever was a, a thing around the dinner table? Did your dad talk about food when you were eating? Oh yeah. Not only that, but we would be eating the food that he was, he was developing quite yeah. often. Uh, I, I didn't really realize how odd it was growing up. Cause it was just the way things were like, like anything is when, when you're growing up. Uh, but we had tacos every weekend on Saturday because yeah. one of the brands he worked on was Old El Paso. So he would be <laughs> bringing back 
like seasoning packets and hot sauces and things. And I remember him being like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And I just, at the time just thought like, Oh, dad's really interested in, you know, what I like. And it was, he was experimenting on us basically, <laughs> you know, he was, he was trying to see like what, what stuff we liked and what stuff we didn't. Uh, I remember we had these unmarked boxes of ice cream, uh-huh. uh, that, that he would, he would serve us ice cream. And then he's like, tell me if you find anything weird. And I remember one time I found this like rubbery bit and I told him about it and he just started taking notes I was like, okay, yeah, no, that's good. And then a couple of times later, he would serve me ice cream and be like, did you find any rubbery bits? And I'm like, no, he's like, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Did you, once you were an adult, did you ever talk to him about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he retired, um, he retired, he, he did an early retirement. So I was off to college uh, when he retired. But when I'd come home, I'd, I'd, I would, I, I would, I would say like, I, I now realize just, how much experimenting you did. And he'd be like, an experiment on you. It was all, you know, it was all safe food. I just, I just wanted to find out what your opinions were, you know, cause yeah. there was somebody outside the bubble uh, that, that could give me some feedback that I wouldn't get otherwise. Oh, that's funny. I, um, I had a conversation with my dad about, I think it was two years ago um, where I was trying to find out a little bit more about my grandpa, about his dad mm-hmm. and his dad, he had been, one of the, I think it was radio engineers on the program that followed up the Manhattan Project. Oh, the Brooklyn Project? <laughs> I have no idea. It was the, um, but so he worked for the government, you know, working on the ancillary stuff of, you know, the the nukes, basically. And uh, And my dad talked about not really knowing what his dad did, but having his dad bring home these big like uh, schematics and laying them all out on the like living room floor and stuff and occasionally showing him things that he now realizes are top secret Uh, and being like, Oh, Hey, look at this. I designed this, you know, little bit of electronics here. And I just, you know, I, I find that kind of, it's, it's funny because, you know, nowadays, you know, the, you know, somebody would TikTok something like that. Right. But, it would be a scandal or something. Yeah. Yeah. But being a kid in the 50s, you know, or, you know, or for you, for, you know, the 70s, you know, like growing up, you know, having your dad bring his his work home and talk <laughs> about that kind of stuff. I think that's really cool. Uh, yeah. Being experimented on with food was a thing growing that's, up. A lot of my favorite foods never made it to market. Oh, man. That's that's funny. Did you watch the the first episode of the new Loki show? Yeah, yeah, we did. In fact, the nice thing about being in Hawaii is we got to watch it at nine on Tuesday. Oh, hey, that's great. No, I I thought one of the funny things with it uh, is that they like had all of these discontinued foods in the background um, oh, yeah. at the TVA. Uh huh. You know, like it's such a weird little detail to add in, but hey, I mean, if you if you have command of all space and time, then why not? eat the foods that you like, right? Or you just, you pick stuff up and bring it back into the office and forget about it. And it could be from any time, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's going to, yeah. it's going to be discontinued in some timeline probably, right? <laughs> How are all the uh, podcasts going? You're, you've got, are, do you have five regular podcasts right now? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I do a daily uh, show the daily tech news show yeah uh, and then i do a uh, weekly called cord killers uh sword and laser is every other week um it's a thing is every week and then i have some more periodical ones current geeks on hiatus that would have been the fifth 
Uh, yeah. East meets West is, is monthly. Uh, then I also occasionally will do, let's talk about star Wars and, uh, Oh, and I do a top five video for tech Republic that comes out weekly. <laughs> Does it stress you out to create content on a daily? Well, normally weekly, but also daily. Um, does that is that overwhelming to you? It it is stressful, but I really enjoy it, or I wouldn't continue to do it. Uh, yeah. I I got into media in radio in the late '80s, and just got used to that regular schedule of you're you're going to be striped Monday through Friday. Uh, I got into to tech and the and the web when I was working at Tech TV in in 1999, and that was on daily shows, two, two mm-hmm. daily shows. And so I kind of never known any other way. I I've always, I've always joked that like, I'm, I'm really, really not smart in that every time I have a chance to start a new show, I make it daily uh, yeah. instead of scaling back. But I, I don't know. There's something about it. That's fun. And so I, I mean, I guess if you really break it down, it's just a job, right? You just have your schedule and you do it. Yeah. Well, one of the keys is I do it live. Uh, we, we stream it. Yeah. So that there's no, uh, oh, hold on, let me do that again, right? You just you you've got you've got to plow through it, and it's a 30 minute show, so you you get your 30 minutes and then it's done. Uh, if normally if you if you do something either a, a video shoot or or an audio recording that's 30 minutes, it might take you a half a day if you're not trying to do it live. Even yeah. if, even if it's not streamed live, you know, if you're doing it live, what they call used to call live to tape, uh, it it makes a difference because you're not stopping down and talking about it and redoing and going, well, that was pretty good, but let me do another one. You just, you just get it done. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. When did you, when did you start being the personality on the other end of the radio? So my first job was at a a country music station that was heavy metal at night. Uh, (laughs) And I did, I did both. I did some shifts in the country and some, some in the, what they called the rock zone. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was in 1986 when I was 16 years old. Uh, I got that's, that job. That's the year I was born. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my radio career and you are the same age. I know that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I did that. Uh, that was in my hometown, but it was a commercial station. Uh, mm-hmm. and I did that for a few years. And then I was, I worked in radio stations in high school and, or I'm sorry, in radio stations in college. Uh, and then I was sort of off mic behind camera. Um, the, the late nineties in Austin, uh, I, I, I was my misspent youth. I, I worked at yeah. a bookstore. <laughs> I did some pirate radio station for a little bit and I did theater stuff and, I started my website. It was, it was, you know, kind of all over the place, but then, yeah, then I got into tech TV, uh, the, the television network as a web producer. Yeah. Uh, and I really didn't go back in front of the camera or on the mic until I moved to CNET in 2004 and started doing videos and podcasts for them. Do you, do you, I mean, I guess maybe this is a dumb question because you are the guy doing it now but do you do you like doing the behind the scenes or do you prefer to be in front of the microphone slash camera i've always preferred to do the behind the scenes stuff the the, really? the preparation and the production is is the part that i i find the best uh being in front being on on mic and on camera is is a rush right that's yeah. that's the fun thing where you're performing 
but you know, and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to have false modesty and say no no I don't want the spotlight. <laughs> you know, I'm an attention grabber person just like everybody else. Uh, but but I do find the most satisfaction in crafting the stuff and putting yeah. it together. Well, because it is uh, it is it is an art. You know, like I, I just playing with it. The very small amount I did before I said you know screw this I'm hiring a, an engineer. Um, is, uh, it's, a, it's an art, it's an art to, to craft, whether it's your own or someone else's, you know, you know, their schedule and their mm-hmm. plan. And then afterwards you have to do the editing and listen back and all of that stuff. It's, I mean, that's, that's a very particular set of skills. And what, what I really enjoy is the news commentary format. And figuring out like, okay, what are, what are the most important things to put in that this 30 minutes today that's going to help people understand things? You know, how many minutes should we give them? Uh, how should we set it up? What are the things we make sure we include? Uh, how do we make sure we have an interesting conversation about it? That That's the stuff I really enjoy. Yeah. I, uh, I was actually curious about the idea, especially nowadays, um, you basically professionally, you have opinions professionally. Mm-hmm. You you go on and you talk about things and you have opinions about technology and consumer products and TV and books and everything. Is that a struggle to deal with sometimes? Because I, I kind of avoid having public opinions <laughs> because I'm a semi-public person. And, yeah. and so I, I don't want to pick fights and things like that. Is it different when having opinions is your job? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, And there's two ways people go about it. Uh, One is to lean into it and be the controversial, you know, I'm I'm just going to, you know, go one direction and, and hate everybody who disagrees with me. And that... That is the more successful way to go, apparently, yeah. from what I can tell. Uh, but also, uh, not my not my personality type to deal with because that's that's when you really are going to have to deal with all of that hate and backlash and everything right. that you're talking about. Um, what what I've done one one of the nice things about doing a news oriented show is that you know you can have a balance of opinions, and that that's what I've tried to do is say like, all right, let's always look at the other side. Let's all, let's not just say Google is evil. Let's, you know, why would Google want to do this besides being evil? And let, you know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not, uh, let's not let them off the hook either. Let, let's also, yeah. you know, hold them accountable uh, when it's appropriate. But you know, how, how do we look at all the various angles and it's not just two sides there. There's always multiple things to think about. So I've sort of cultivated that, uh, which I think, helps because you know i i try to talk about it android as much as i talk about uh iphone uh yeah. for instance and and so for every person who gets mad at me for for talking about one side i can say like yeah but i also talk about this other i you know i i i also try to to cover i'm not trying to say i'm perfect but that that sort of helps mute that that sort of anger and I don't know how you deal with if somebody does come at you, but, but, you know, people do, they get angry yeah. at you. And I try to just listen to what I think they want to say, not what they're saying. If that, <laughs> like, like if they were in the room with you being a, a, you know, civil person, you know, would they have a point? If, if not, then I just don't engage. Yeah. But if they do, then I try to respond to that. And oftentimes that 
I mean, just the act of responding sometimes is enough, but sometimes responding sincerely to like, okay, I, I think I know what your point is, uh, can, can help a lot, but you know, then there's also trolls and bots and stuff and you just, you, you just got to ignore that, uh, or, or let it go, move away. So many, uh, over the years I've, I've developed so many, uh, little strategies, you know, write the angry response, but don't post it. That kind of yeah. thing. Do, do you have any of that in your tool set? Man, you know, I, I kind of reached the point where I just, I don't engage with negative feedback. Yeah. Um, I try not to even read it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because two things are going to happen. One, it's either somebody who clearly didn't read very well. Um, and I'll just be annoyed and I'll have <laughs> wasted my time and my emotional right. energy. Or it'll be somebody who has a point and that's almost worse because then I'll be like, oh, crap, they're right. I screwed that up. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and it's not like you have a, a show the next day that you can go on and, and correct yourself. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Do you do you think that you have in terms of your audience do you think that you've kind of uh, created a pretty positive relationship with them? I I, I think I have. Um, I'm I'm you know I'm always hesitant to curse myself by saying I have. But, right. But yeah, I feel pretty lucky with the people that that are in our community. Um, a long time ago, when I was at CNET, I, I don't even think I originated. I think I lifted it off somebody else. But I said, "You get the audience you deserve," meaning. <laughs> your audience is a reflection of you. Yeah. Uh, and so the worst thing I can say about my audience is that they're kind of picky and pedantic. And I'm like, and so am I. So, they, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's what I get. Uh, and, 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 but they're, they're all, you know, with a very, very rare exception, they're all very kind, sincere people who just, you know, want to enjoy the topic that, that we're all talking about. So I, I feel really, really lucky to have that. And I feel really lucky that I was involved both at CNET's Buzz Out Loud and at uh, Tech TV's Screensavers and Call for Help shows who had amazing communities and and were shining examples of how you do community right very early in my career. Yeah. Do you do you think of your listeners as as fans? And I guess what I mean by that is mm. do you feel like listeners tend to follow you Tom Merritt? to whatever shows you're doing or whatever projects you're working on, or does it kind of develop from whatever audience you're kind of aimed at when you start a new show? Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question and I'm not exactly sure. Although I, I did, uh, un- unintentionally test it, uh, when I got let go from twit, uh, uh which was the, this week in tech network that I was at yeah. and I started my own show there were a lot of people who followed me who said, you know, I just like what you do. I even got some people who said, I didn't realize it was you. I liked until you were on your own. Uh, and, and so I I think I have some of those people who really like the way I do what I do. Uh, and I, and then, and then there are also a lot of people who just want the content who who just, you know, they, they want to keep up on technology or science fiction, fantasy books or whatever. Yeah. I ask because, because when you're an author, you kind of, there's two different types of fans. There tends to be, at least in the genre fiction that I work in, um, you either have the fans that they, they like how you write 
and they are there for you and they want to read whatever you put out, which is, you know, that's the best kind of fan to have. But you also have the fans that they get invested in a single world. And so they don't really care about you. They don't even know your name. They just know the world that you wrote and they don't really care what else you've done. Um, and I'm, I'm always fascinated by kind of the dichotomy between those two different types of people. Uh, because when I was a kid, I did not know the name of authors. I would know the names of a universe. I'd mm-hmm. say, oh, yeah, I, I knew the name of Robert Jordan, mm-hmm. but only because I had read, you know, nine of his books um, in a single series. Yeah, yeah. And so so I'm I'm fascinated by that. And I'm wondering how much it kind of translates over to other artistic endeavors, I suppose. Yeah, that that's interesting, because I, I know what you're talking about, where where somebody's like, no, I, I like Powder Mage. Why are you yeah. doing something else? You know, like you, yeah. you're, you're, I, you, you don't get to do anything else. I just want more of the thing I like. Right. Uh, and, and if, is that the more common, do you think it feels like that's the more common response where people are like, no, I just like this series. I, I imagine it is by far the most common and, and you'll kind of, you know, as an, as an author, I would say that, man, yeah, I used to have a really good estimate I think it was 10 to 15% of your readers were the type of people that are going to follow you to a new series. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that varies massively from genre and book and reader and writer and all that stuff. But I, I guess that would be my estimate um, is you have that small percentage. They're, they're loyal. They they want you and what you do rather than the the particular content. Well, because it's scary it's over dramatizing to say it's not really <laughs> scary, but you know, the first time a beloved author writes something that's not in even the same vein, right? Like, like when yeah. Martha Wells started writing Murderbot, for instance, yeah. uh, the first time somebody does that, you're like, Ooh, I, I know they're really good at this, but I don't know if they're really good at that. Uh, and so that's the jump I feel like people have to to take is like, I, I know you from this, and if you're, and if I'm willing to jump and see if you're good at this other thing, then I might become a fan of you, you know, yeah. Brian, but you have to get him to, to take that, take that leap. And I, I was kind of wondering, um, how that translates for you because you mm-hmm. also write science fiction novels. And uh, honestly, I don't know a lot about you writing science fiction novels because I know Tom Merritt, the podcaster. Sure. Sure. And that's, that's, that's most people. I, I've successfully taken people from Tom Merritt is a tech guy who does that CNET stuff yeah. uh, to, you know, he's also science fiction and fantasy books. He's also TV and movie cord cutting. Uh, and, and I've, I've successfully been able to make people make those jumps. I think because I never did just one thing, even at CNET, I was doing multiple types of shows, even though they were all largely under technology, getting people to read books at first, there was a, oh my gosh, you wrote a book? That's so cool. Let me try it. Yeah. Uh, but I have found, well, I found a couple of things. I have found it's harder to grow that audience because people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I only have so much time to spend on you, Merit. So, right. you know, I'm going to spend it on the thing I know you do really well. Um, but also I'm just not very good at, at, at prioritizing that side of things because it is a side thing that I do for my own enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've been able to get published uh, with ink shares 
on a couple of novels, but everything else has been uh, self-published. So it's it's really just me loving to write and loving to come up with stories and then writing them. Uh, and and I would have to take time away from the podcasting to push that farther than I have so far. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, it does. It does. I, um, I actually, I picked up uh gallium this morning. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> um, cause I, I, I just was doing some research and I, I had glanced at your books before because you're my friend and I, I hadn't grabbed one before, but then I, I read the synopsis for gallium and I'm like, that sounds fun. I'm going to grab it on audible. And, uh, and I, I was kind of curious about the, uh, doing something like that on audio i am wondering i guess i guess it's a little uncouth for me to say are uh, for me to ask are are your audible sales a lot better than your ebook sales because you are an audio person it's interesting uh yes but only because the ebook sales are so small <laughs> <laughs> uh i i i think I think it is easier to get a podcast listener to try an audiobook though. I think yeah. that's absolutely true. And that that's one thing. Inkshare has published two of my books and the second one they were able to get a deal with Audible because Audible was like, "Oh yeah, the sales of the first one were great." Uh and and you know, with with an actual publisher pushing it and podcast listeners going, "Oh, you got an audiobook. Great." Yeah. Um I I do think that there's there's something there. In fact, I'm going to self-publish another audiobook that it is I'm I didn't voice I didn't produce I like hired someone to make it for yeah. me uh and it's it's you know it's going to be on the level of the ones I did with ink shares on my own and I'm, I'll, I'll be I'll report back I'll be very curious to see if that works better <laughs> yeah it's I I'm fascinated by the way that creative people kind of cross-pollinate in various I I don't know what you'd call them like media genres i guess mm. um or just media it, the plural media i guess yeah in 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 different media you know because i talk to um I, I i'll talk to like a tv writer and they'll say oh man i i really want to get into novels that so it sounds so much fun uh -huh. and on my side i'll go but man you're working in hollywood you're working <laughs> on tv shows that sounds way cooler than what i do and so it's uh, do you think that artistic people just like being artistic and they have a drive to create interesting things. And so when a new piece of media kind of crops up, it's going to scratch something, mm. you know, behind their shoulders and they're going to want to, you know, maybe not always, but you know, there's going to be that tendency to want to jump in and yeah, look at something new. I think there's, there's definitely something to that uh, because I mean, some of it is always, is the grass is always greener, right? I don't know. There's an yeah. old joke of like movie stars all want to be rock stars or rock stars all want to be movie stars, you, you know? <laughs> uh, but, but I, I think there's also just, especially like you're saying, when there's a new thing, like, uh, you know, a new thing that comes along, I think creative people are like, Ooh, I hadn't considered having that as an option, as a way to tell my story or express my music or, or whatever it is. And I, yeah, I think there is, a, a good section of people who are just who're like, Oh, I want to try that. I want to see what that's like. I was, I was talking to um, Peter Brett for this show uh, just uh, last week. And he was talking about how a while back he, he picked up a whole bunch of 
uh, podcasting equipment, all the audio stuff. And, and he had created a little desk in the corner of his new apartment. And he was, he was really thinking about getting into, you know, oh, maybe I'll make YouTube videos for my fans. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. And, uh, and he said that his ultimate conclusion was, oh man, you know, I really want to do these things, but I, I write books and I do that well, and I need to stick with it. And it's funny because I've, I've thought about starting a podcast for like four years. I, you know, cause I've asked yeah, you yeah. about podcasts for years, totally. you know, I, I do come back to that, you know, do I split my creative attention between multiple things or do I stick with one thing that I'm really good at? Yeah. Uh, it's easier when you're younger. I think, you know, when I was in my twenties, I could bounce from, Oh man, I wish YouTube had been around back then. I could bounce from, you know, uh, this is going to date me so much from radio to cable access, television to theater, you know, and just try different stuff because your, your brain's more malleable. And, and I know what Peter's talking about. There's a certain point where you're like, TikTok. Okay. Uh, I guess I could wrap my head around that. Whereas, you know, if TikTok had come along when I was 24, I would have been, I would have been like, oh, cool. What can I do with this? Let me, let me push it to the limit. What's it good for? Let me try stuff. But you get to the point where you're like, I know I'm really good at this and I only have so much, you know, I'm, I I only have so much energy if nothing else. Uh, So do I, do I risk not doing what I do well as well because I'm taking time trying to figure out and, and learn this other thing? which is, which is what writing for me, I started it when I was young, you know, so I've, I've built momentum, but I never got to the point of, of like switching to it. It's, it's always been the thing that I do for fun that maybe I can also make something more out of. Do you think that starting new podcasts and, you know, working on new shows kind of scratches that itch for you? Totally. Yeah. In fact, I have to stop myself from starting new podcasts because I (laughs) I will just like when the pandemic hit, I started three new podcasts because I'm like, hey, I didn't even have I didn't even have more time. It was just like, oh, hey, you know, can't can't go to the grocery store. I guess I'll start a podcast. (laughs) What? um. What is your kind of personal criteria for whether you continue doing a new show? Uh, that's a good one. Um, I've, I've had good luck and bad luck with that over the years. There, there have been some shows that just didn't succeed and I was able to look at it and very, you know, rationally say like, look, this just doesn't have enough listeners. Maybe the listeners that are there really love it. Uh, And that was true in a couple of cases and and people still complain to me that, that I canceled them, but I'm like, it just, you know, it just wasn't enough compared to the other things that I had going on to, to, to keep going. I've also had the situation where I got a lot of irons in the fire and they all got hot, which, you know, sounds like bragging. Um, but really it can, it can, it can be a trouble of like, Oh, but I can't make any of the melt <laughs> to push yeah. that metaphor too far. Like, because I'm <laughs> trying to keep them all hot. Right. Uh, and so you, you have to, you have to finally decide like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on these and maybe let that one cool a little, even though it's good. Uh, and, and there's the ways I've, I've dealt with that are, are making things seasonal so that mm-hmm. I'm, I don't have to work on it all the time uh, yeah. or, or going on hiatus and then seeing if it comes back. Uh, I, one, one show I did uh, called FSL tonight uh, we put on hiatus and neither one of us have actually ever talked about it to each other we have been on panels and answered questions about it yeah uh but we've we still have never talked about it because i think we both realized that it was it was more effort 
to do than it needed but we both loved doing it together so much that if we talked to each other we'd talk ourselves into doing it again so uh <laughs> so we we've just avoided the conversation but um it was it was it was a fantasy sports show so in mm-hmm. other words all the teams were based on fantasy and science fiction properties <laughs> and we would just report as if the games had happened and who was in first place yeah I, I see I, that and that sounds very funny it was but, so much fun yeah but it was a lot of work yeah and that's what it, the, I, that's the second thing i was going to say is it sounds like a lot of effort to go into something like that yeah and yeah i that making those decisions of what you want to spend your energy on because you know like you you can get kind of crass about it and say well something's not making money you know i can't do this anymore but you know at the end of the day you only have so much creative energy mm-hmm. and and even if you know, you've, you're, you're meeting your needs. You still kind of want to justify whatever you're working on, um, you know, to your spouse or to yourself, uh, you know, for whatever. Um, and that's, that's something that you don't talk about a lot in the creative world. You can only have so many labors of love. (laughs) Right. Right. And, you know, you get that, you get that thing where there's a lot of writers who will say, well, I would write whether I make money from it or not. And that's fine. And it's, you know, it's awesome to have hobbies like that. But there's also a point at which you can't, you know, you can't kind of justify mm-hmm. putting all of that time and effort. And yeah, yeah. And at times it's, you know, it costs money too. You know, when you're doing with yourself publishing a book, yeah. you know, it's going to cost you probably a couple of grand. You've got to, you got to get, get, you know, unless you're a perfect editor, which nobody is, you're going to have to get an editor. Yeah. And then unless you're also an artist, which very few of us are, you're going to have to get artwork. Like, you know, and those, those are just the first two basic things you have to do. Right. Now with your shows, do you prefer to kind of do everything yourself or do you prefer to have somebody working on the production for you. All of my uh, people I work with will say that I prefer to do everything myself <laughs> because I'm, I'm very bad at just like delegating and, and letting things uh, go. I'm, I'm getting better at it, uh, but I prefer to do it all myself. I have forced yeah. myself to let go and say, no, that's okay. Veronica, we, we can hire an editor to do sort and laser. That's a good idea. Um, of course, in that case, Veronica had been doing the editing, not me. But even then, even then I was like, ah, but why do we need to pay? I, I think my, my depression era parents were, were, you know, influencing me. Why, why, why right. you pay for something that you could do yourself? But it, it does make sense, honestly, to pay people to do yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I finally got a virtual assistant about a year and a half ago. And, you know, they're just not even part time. They're just a little bit of freelance work for just little stuff that stresses me out Mm -hmm. and that honestly, I'm not that great at anyways. And so, you know, why not have someone else update my website and things like that? Well, because there are things that other people are better at than me. Right. Yeah. So if I were to do it, it would take me three times as long. So even if you're just going to be crass and value your time, like I, my time is worth more doing something else. Also, yeah. it's just better if that person does it faster and probably right, whereas I'll screw <laughs> it up and I have to redo it. So yeah, it just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, you went to school for journalism, right? I did, yeah. I, uh, I attended the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and got a Bachelor of Science in journalism. What drove that? I was working at a radio station. It was like, this will be easier if I have my degree overlap with what I'm doing uh, is really <laughs> honestly. But, you know, I enjoyed doing the radio work, too. So it, it was it was not hard for me to enjoy majoring in journalism. But, yeah, I started as an economics major because I was told by my sister, my older sister, that uh, I should go into pre-law and economics was a good degree for pre-law. And then you go to law school and then you get a law degree. And even yeah. if you even if you don't want to become a lawyer, Tom, you always have that law degree. Uh, I did not do that. Uh, I I did become a history major at, for a few semesters because I really enjoy history. Uh, but I knew that wasn't going to parlay itself into a job directly. Yeah. And journalism could. And I was already yeah. doing a job in journalism in a media field. Um, so the way University of Illinois worked, you couldn't go into the College of Communications until your junior year. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I sort of just like stayed in history until my junior year. And then I, I entered the College of Communications uh, and got the journalism degree there. And then I did one year of grad school work at, at University of Texas, Austin as well. Did you have a, when you were in school, did you have an ultimate vision of what you wanted to do with that? No, no, I <laughs> I mean, yes, I had silly visions. Like I was reading Hunter S. Thompson. So I'm like, I want to be a doctor oh, no. of journalism. Uh, so I'll, I'll go to grad school in journalism and really become yeah. a doctor in journalism. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know. I knew I enjoyed radio, uh, but I also knew that radio didn't pay a lot. So that that's where those lost years in Austin come in. I, I was, I was a total slacker uh, who I, I went to grad school for a year Realized that wasn't for me. I was working at a bookstore, which I loved because, you know, mm -hmm. free books to read all the time. Uh, and I, I just sort of like felt around, uh, tried different things. And honestly, it was doing my website myself that felt the best. There were two things yeah. I was doing by the end of my time in Austin. I was, I was writing a book, the, the, the first real full book that I ever, ever, ever finished writing. Uh, and, I, and I was doing a website. And the website got me a job at a television network that needed people to do their website and had a streaming radio station that I could go and kind of worm my way into uh, and use my radio. And I was like, that's my dream job. It does all the things that I, yeah. that I enjoy doing. That's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. But I backed into it. I definitely didn't have the vision or plan <laughs> of, of that. 
What did your What did your parents think of uh, you going into journalism? I mean, my parents were actually pretty supportive of me doing what I wanted to do. Uh, yeah. They, you know, it wasn't like my dad was like, you're going to be a food scientist like your father. <laughs> um, my, my grandpa, my mom's side was a little more skeptical. He was like, well, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to make money? Yeah. You know, you, journalists don't get paid a lot. What are you, the, he, he was that more traditional voice on it, but journalism wasn't a bad one. He, he supported my sister's idea of like, you really ought to go to law school, but, uh, but at least journalism was a practical degree. When I was in history there, it was like, well, you're, you're never going to be a you know highly paid historian. Yeah. Um, so, so there was some of that, but my parents, my mom and dad, my, my mom actually got a job at the radio station I worked at in high school after me. So huh. she was, she was like, yeah, radio, radio's fun. I enjoy radio too. Uh, and, yeah. my, and my dad was always very much of the mindset of like, what's important is that you enjoy what you do and then you can find, you know, work. Uh, yeah. It fits that. And I, I always, I always valued that you know, he was like that. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, yeah, I, I talking to other creatives, you get a really huge spectrum of, you know, what you, what were your parents like? What, you know, what did they think of you wanting to be artistic in some way? Um, and and it, it's always really, it, it feels nice to me when people are able to say, yeah, my parents supported me. Yeah, I'm, I was very lucky uh, in that respect. I mean, my dad supported me. My mom just sort of, I don't know. She was a, she was more of like, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm doing it too. So well, I can't, guess I can't criticize you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my mom was always incredibly supportive. You know, she was the, she's the one that read to me when I was a little kid. She was the one that took me to the library when she was volunteering every week and, you know, let me run around through the stacks. And, uh, and she was the one that kind of pushed me towards writing. And my dad was always very much kind of bemused by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of yeah you know you should get a degree so that you could get a real job if right. you need to just as a safety measure right but he was never he was never a dick about it he never you know said oh writing's for idiots or anything like that um so so yeah it's 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 nice when your parents are kind of cool with things yeah it was I, I was very lucky in that respect and and uh, I mean, you know, I mentioned my grandpa, who was a little more of the traditional, you know, skeptic about, you know, what you're going to do with that. But even he talked to me about it. He didn't just, you know, judge me and, and condemn me. And my grandma on my dad's side uh, was always much more more concerned about like, well, are you happy? Do you, do you enjoy what you're doing? Is that, and, and she was very, she was very not old fashioned. I mean, my, my grandpa on that side was born in 1883. Like the, Ooh. yeah, I, I come from a very stretched out family. So there, you know, all of my family, except my mom had lived through the, the depression. Uh, yeah. And there was, I don't know, there was some practicality built into that of like, yeah, you need to earn a living, but guess what? The world could take away your living no matter what you do. So, you know, maybe, maybe oh, that, be versatile. That's actually a really interesting attitude because I, I've found that, my my parents generation it seems like it seems like there's a lot more of a it doesn't matter what you enjoy you have the responsibility mm-hmm. of providing for your family yeah, and yeah. you you make the money and you you know you put food on the table and things like that and and i've always found that kind of tragic um so so it's fascinating that they were able to kind of step back and say yeah, enjoying 
what you're doing is important. Yeah. There was a little bit of a fatalism behind it. I think of like, you know, you, you can make all the plans you want and it can all fall apart. So, you know, as long as you are responsibly providing for yourself and your family, yeah. then, then yeah, you, you know, you, if you're just like skipping out, you know, going to Alaska, you know, leaving kids behind and then that would not have been okay. You know, yeah. But, but yeah, you want to be a journalist, you want to work in radio, like, okay, you know, that's as long as you can, as long as you can make that work. Right. Right. Well, people listen to the radio, so hey, they yeah. must be work there. Right. Right. <laughs> and now I, cool. I don't do any, I mean, I don't do radio. I do a version right. of radio, but yeah. 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 None of, I, none of my family would have ever understood. In fact, my mom is, is my only, uh, other than my brother and sister, my only living relative. Uh, yeah. and, and she doesn't even listen to podcasts. She's like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's too, too weird for her. Although she has an iPhone and she loves it. I'm like, why don't you just get the podcast app? And then she's like, right. eh, no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Now you mentioned uh, working for a bookstore and you, uh, one of your podcasts is Sword and Laser, which is science fiction and fantasy. Um, is it still book club? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. mostly it, interviews? Mo- mostly book club. It started as a okay, book club most- before it became a podcast even. Yeah. Uh, and, and the larger audience is the book club, uh, I, I, I think still. Now, where does that kind of love of reading and science fiction in particular come from? Yeah, I, I don't know that there, there were lots of, my mom was a voracious reader. Uh, mm-hmm. My, my dad was a more practical reader, but he read a lot as well. I mean, all my family, all my family read. I don't think there was anybody in my family who didn't. So I, I, I would just have to say it was my family. Uh, and my mom would take me to the library as a, as a young boy uh, during the summers to be part of the reading club that they, that they offered. And you'd get a little sailboat with your name on it every time you read a book. Uh, and, and I was very proud that, you know, I, I sucked at T-ball. I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't kick my way out of the backfield in soccer, but I freaking won that reading thing. My sailboat was way in front of everybody else. <laughs> Because I knew, I knew how to read at an early age. My sister, I, you know, I should probably credit my sister. My sister taught me to read when I was yeah. like two. Ooh. So I was reading well before most of the people in my class. That's very cool. What um, do you have a particular a particular memory of something that really clicked with you early on? Like for me personally, it would be um, either C.S. Lewis, because my mom would read those to me, mm. or it would be anything King Arthur and Robin Hood. Mm. When I was really little, I got really into a, you know, I, I was reading stuff that was 10 years more advanced than I should have been reading because I just wanted to read anything that was, you know, kind of British lore. Yeah. Um, was there anything like that that really clicked for you? It's funny. When I was in elementary school, uh, I had to get a written note from my mom giving me permission to go to the side of the library where the wind in the willows was because <laughs> that was not, I was not at the level that I was supposed to be able to read that, but I would read wind of the willows, Dr. Doolittle, uh, Hardy oh, boys. I loved Dr. Doolittle. Uh, yeah. I loved all, all that stuff. Uh, and, and then as I got older, I read the Narnia books. Um, I, I, I think the thing that really made me take off into reading. I read a lot, uh, but it was like, it was kids stuff like that for the most part. The first adult book that I remember adoring was when, I guess I would have been 14, 13 or 14. We went up to drop my sister off at college. Uh, She also went to the U of I. 
and we went into a Walden books and I found Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh, and bought it go. and read it on the ride back. Yeah. Uh, and I would go and I would reread it immediately. And I would like note like how many times I had read it in the front <laughs> cover of, of the paperback. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fun. That's a good start. I like that. Now, um, man, we've, we have blown through time. Uh, but, uh, I, so, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with my favorite question, which is what is a meal that has blown your mind recently? A meal. That a has meal. Blown my mind. This is a 180, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you follow my Twitter. You, mm-hmm. you know how I feel mm-hmm. about food. I do. Uh, th- this is the problem is that I just came back from vacation so I have to pick because there was really good Korean food with like Korean uh, kimchi pancakes and uh, um, Korean fried chicken. But I'm going to go I'm going to go with the plate lunch from the Poi factory on the North Shore. It was do you know what Lao Lao is? I don't know. It's uh, it's pork kind of roasted in uh, banana leaves. Ooh, And then. Uh, so it was Lao Lao, Kahlua pork, fresh made poi from the factory and Lomi Lomi salmon, which is like a mixture of, of, uh, of, uh, not a dried salmon, but like a cured salmon, uh, yeah. and tomatoes. Uh, and then you just, you eat all of that by dipping some of it in the poi. Uh, it's so good. So good. that sounds fantastic. I want to eat my phone that has a picture of it now <laughs> after talking about it. Oh, fantastic. Well, hey man, that's uh that's great. Thanks so much for coming and hanging out and chatting with me for 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah, though no, this was this was fun. Like you said, the time just flew by. I can't believe it's it's already been that long. That was tech journalist and podcaster Tom Merritt. Thanks again to Tom for his time. You can find links to Tom's social media as well as his books and most popular podcasts down in the show notes. You can find me as always at brianclone.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production support. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.